This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Let's face it, bookkeeping is hard, and it's not really what you're good at anyway. Bench.co is the online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant software to do your bookkeeping for you. Check it out at bench.co slash JavaScript Jabber for 20% off today. They focus on what matters most, and that's why they're there. Once again, that's bench.co slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code JavaScriptJabber, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 205 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hello. Dave Smith. Hey, everyone. Jameson Dance. Hi, friends. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that is Eric, I know I'm going to say this wrong, Schofstall. Hey, you got it right, Schofstall. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Hey, Eric. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Eric. I usually go by Contra, everybody calls me that. And yeah, I'm here to talk about some React and Redux stuff that I've been working on. Before we jump into that, can I ask if Contra is a throwback to the old 80s console game? No, I get asked that like all the time. <laughs> no, it's, it's if I'm not mistaken, that was the original up, down, left, right, yada, yada code, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay, well, that's cool, too. So we brought you on to talk about Shasta, which looks like it's still a work in progress. Yeah, it's coming along. It's kind of a big undertaking. There's like a lot of projects kind of under that umbrella of Shasta. So I had Dan Abramov over at my house probably like a month ago and I gave him like a sneak peek and then he totally went on Twitter and just like told the whole <laughs> nice. I was like, damn it. So I had all these people like going to the website and like, oh yeah, like they're looking for docs. It's like basically right now it just says, go away. <laughs> it's like, yeah. this, this is a work in progress. There's no docs. It's not published. Like don't touch it. And yeah, it's kind of because it's like, there's just so many pieces involved in it that, uh, it's taken a little bit to like get everything documented and tested and make sure that everything was done the right way. But it, I'd say it's probably like a week or two out from having like a full release of everything. Well, that's so good because our release cycle is a week or two. So, Yeah, so there's a good chance that if you're listening to this, Shasta is ready. Oh. So can you just say what it is, though? I still don't... No, that's not important. Let's just focus on the hype. 
Well, yeah, it's a brand, it's a brand it of soda. You don't know what it can't do, also. So Shasta does. It's like ZomboCon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So let's. I guess I'll start from the beginning. So we were doing like React stuff. Redux came out. Redux is awesome. So we started building Redux applications at one of my companies, and we found it to be extremely painful to get started. There's a lot of like plumbing up of different modules and like making sure that data goes to the right place and you have to go research all the best practices. And the Redux community kind of has like a set of opinions just in the community that you're supposed to follow. And it's mostly by going and looking at Dan Abramov's Twitter account or looking at the readmes of a bunch of different modules. So what we decided to do was, hey, what if we just took all of these best practices that the community has already like agreed on and kind of formulate it into a module that like enforces those best practices and then make it easy for people to wire everything together in a way that abides by those practices. So out of that, this idea of Shasta was born. So it consists of like some front end stuff, some back end stuff for creating APIs and like a bunch of stuff in between that kind of ties it all together. So effectively what I am understanding then is you take uh, React and Redux and you put some opinions around it and say, we're going to make it really easy for you to do these certain things if you meet the assumptions that we have. Yeah, we, we took Redux, React, RethinkDB, and some other stuff, kind of wrapped it all together into one thing. And then we have like a whole ecosystem of other tools that you can plug into it really easy. So the whole goal was let's take like all of this cool shit and make it so that you can use everything together really easily without having to like go read the docs on eight different modules and like figure out how to wire everything up. Were you responding in part at least to the uh, concept of JavaScript tool fatigue when you conceived of this project? That article came out like a little bit after. I think there was like kind of a good point or two in that article. I disagree with it on a lot of levels. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a response, but it definitely like helped reinforce, I guess, what we felt like the community was saying. Is what you're doing just, you said, like extracting all the best practices, or is it actually like abstracting over some of the things that you would have to implement by hand? A little bit of both. So, for example, one of the pieces in Shasta is called Tahoe. And it's like a complete data access layer for Redux. So you don't have to use... Tahoe with Shasta, you could use it in any Redux application. And it kind of abstracts away the whole process of getting data from an external API, denormalizing it, storing it, caching, optimistic updates, and all that stuff. So there's like a number of pieces that are all standalone. And then all of those together are what makes Shasta. So can you give us some idea of how somebody gets started using Shasta? Because I'm, I don't know, I'm having trouble conceptualizing exactly what you're talking about. So yeah. if, if I wanted to build apps the way you want me to build apps, what do I do? Do I NPM install Shasta and then roll that way? Or do I have to pull it in some other way and then run some other commands to get started? What, what does that look like? What is that process? Yeah, so we're working on a command line tool that will kind of be responsible for scaffolding out new applications and helping you manage like existing applications. But for now, I would say the easiest way to get started is uh, github.com slash shastajs slash boilerplate. And it's just like a stock kind of webpack, rethink, uh, real-time API with rethink and Shasta on the front end stack. 
Is that using Express for the server, too? Yeah, we're using Express right now. The server stuff is, like, agnostic, though. You could use it with anything. Sure. So I want to talk about this idea of kind of, like, solidifying on best practices. It seems like one thing in the React community that they have done a little differently is almost avoiding that. And to a fault at some point, it causes a lot of confusion, like you said. And there are some other communities, like Ember specifically, where they really value just from the very beginning having one right way to do things that the whole framework is built around. Do you see this as kind of trying to move React a little bit more towards that philosophy where there are strong conventions and strong opinions? Or or is this just like, hey, here's a cool way to build apps if you want to? I think it's definitely moving the needle a little farther towards Ember, but not completely. I think that there's a nice middle ground between having to install like 100 modules to get, you know, like a basic router working and like having to buy into a full stack like Ember system. So, yeah, I, I would say we're trying to focus on being a set of good opinions in this ecosystem that seemingly has no opinions about anything. Because, yeah, there is a lot of frustration of people who just want to, I don't know, build stuff. And right now it's a lot more difficult than I feel like it needs to be. Sure. So you recently retweeted something like pretty much you pick too much magic or too much boilerplate. So is that pretty much what you're doing, trying to find a happy medium there? Yeah, I think we're trying to pick a point where you don't have to do the boilerplate if you don't want to, but there are enough escape hatches where you can do your own thing if you need to. So that was one of the things where it's like we didn't go and remake a whole thing from the ground up and like do our own Redux or anything. So it's all just normal Redux. If you want to use any piece of Shasta in a Redux application, you can totally go do that. You can use Redux stuff in your Shasta application. So it's not like you have to buy into it or anything. And then every piece is just like wrappers around other modules. So if you want to use those individually to do something a different way, then you can do that as well. One thing that I see a lot is some systems, they work really well because all the parts of it are made to work together. But if you take any one of those parts, it's hard to make it work on its own to do its job in an application that doesn't include the other pieces. How do you find the happy medium between made to work together and made to be neatly modular so that it can work nicely out in the real world without any support? Yeah, that's a good question. So for our company, we do everything with like Redux, React, and Shasta on top of it. But we have people who work at other companies who are doing stuff with Shasta that we're not. So that's like... For example, we have people that are using it in like Angular applications with Redux, taking different bits of Shasta and using it in those kind of environments. So I think that by encouraging people to do stuff like that and having people kind of test it out, it's like if you break something or tightly couple it too much to a certain way of thinking, then people will complain about it. So you just said something that surprised me, which was Angular and Redux in the same sentence. And then on top of that, Shasta in an Angular Redux application. So why would anyone want to use Shasta to wrap Redux if you're not going all in? What's the benefit there for them? So I said pieces of Shasta, so... Sure, sure. Even still, like, to me, Redux is pretty standalone, seemingly standalone. Maybe it's not. Like, can you explain how that goes down? Yeah, so the specific piece I was talking about was the server stuff and the front-end stuff that ties into that server stuff. So, like, all of the data access through that module called Tahoe that I mentioned. Ah, okay, there you Tahoe with Redux and Angular. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So what are some of the opinions that you're pushing on people with Shasta? And, and what do they clarify with just a regular <laughs> Redux app? 
What are you ramming down people's throats? Come on. Yeah, so I think that the top, like, three overarching ideals of the whole thing, and there's there's a lot of, like, lower-level opinions, and you can read all of them. If you go to Shasta.tools, there's, like, a whole document just called Opinions, just to kind of spell them out for people before you even dive into it. But the three main ones are everything should use immutable JS. Everything should work easily and be simple to understand, and you should spend time building applications rather than wiring a bunch of modules together. Do you want to talk about those in a little more depth? Sure. So yeah, the, the first one with the immutable JS, all of these opinions came out of us building applications with Redux and React and just kind of figuring out what the best practices were. So we noticed a lot of people kind of using immutable JS uh, in the reducer, so we were like, hey, we'll give it a shot, and it's actually really nice. <laughs> So when you're using like ES6 arrow functions for your reducers, you get the implicit returns, which is like the little kind of one-liners. So you can do these one-line reducers with immutable JS because every state transformation you do in immutable returns the new objects. So how people are like doing reducers without immutable is either using like the React immutable object update thing, which is a lot more code than it needs to be. Or they're doing it by hand, which is like, okay, I got an estate object, I'm cloning that object, I'm tacking some new stuff onto it, and then I'm returning the new objects. So we felt that that was just like kind of clunky. So Immutable.js gives us that. They have a bunch of really nice iterator sugar for like iterating over maps, and they have like ordered lists, and I don't know, they just provide a lot of really good data structures, and we felt like it was a natural fit for Redux reducers. So... So I'm having a little bit of trouble, again, uh, kind of visualizing why you would want immutable, you know, where if you make a state change, you get a new object back. Why is that so important or so powerful with Redux, with reducers? Yeah, so in Redux, you have to, like, your, your state transformations have to be immutable. And this goes into kind of like make the whole time machine thing work that you can roll back changes to like okay, a previous, gotcha. previous state of your application. And so Immutable.js just makes a lot of that work automatic. Yeah, it, it makes it super easy. So yeah, in, in Shasta, like our main opinion is that your whole state object for your application should be Immutable.js, like top to bottom. Right. Although it is uh, good to point out that time travel is just sort of a side benefit, right? It's not the point of having immutable data. Yeah, it's, it's just one of the reasons why it's a good idea. And plenty of applications exist out there that don't need time travel but still can benefit from using immutable data. Well, they have to use immutable data when they're doing Redux. But Redux is based on the principles of having immutable state changes. Mm -hmm. So my experience with setting up a Redux application is that you can start, but really quickly you have to make a lot of choices. You know, most of the the sample applications don't even do AJAX, right? They just have actions and stores and, or actions and reducers, and it's great. But then you're like, well, what if I need to do an AJAX request? And suddenly you have to now make a choice, like, okay, I have to bring in middleware. Well, which middleware? You know, like, what middleware is hot this week? So Shasta, it looks like, is actually making some of those choices for you. Can you uh, walk through some of the choices like middleware and some of the plugins and other things, actually not the plugins, but the default stuff that Shasta is providing out of the box so that you don't have to make some of those choices. Yeah, so a couple of the choices are like reducer and action naming. So we found it difficult in standard Redux applications. So let's say I'm emitting an action, create to do. Where the code that's required uh, for handling that is, is was like kind of confusing. So there wasn't really 
kind of any opinion on how to structure your code in that way or like how to name your reducers. It's kind of like, well, if you want to use hyphens, that's cool. If you want to use underscores, camel case, you know, do whatever you want. So we made the opinion of using namespacing. So in our case, it would be instead of like create to do in camel case, it would be to do's.create. You would fire off as an action. And that's neatly mapped to a to do's reducer file, which has a create reducer. Or you would have a to do's action file that has a create action. So we, we felt like that mapping was a lot cleaner. So that's one of the opinions. Let's see. So we have some default middleware. The DevTools stuff, if you have the DevTools Chrome extension installed, we just wire it up for you. So that was one of the things I felt like was nice. is one of the boilerplate things that never really made a lot of sense to me. It was like, oh, well, if you want to have the DevTools Chrome extension, that's cool. But also, like, here's a bunch of code if you want to include the DevTools extension in your app. And, like, here's how you detect what to wire up. And it's just like one of those things in your store file that got really clunky. So we just say, if they have the DevTools extension, plug it into the store, otherwise don't. And then for async stuff, we have the Thunk middleware included by default. And then we're looking into doing stuff with Redux Saga and possibly including that. But I haven't done enough research on that to figure out if it's a good idea or not. Can you briefly go into what those two are for people who haven't done a lot with Redux yet? So Redux Thunk is, so you fire off an action and it goes to the store and the store basically is responsible for like orchestrating a bunch of stuff. Your reducer gets called, a state transformation happens. But if you need to do asynchronous stuff, you need like a kind of middleware thing. So Redux Thunk is a piece of middleware that is responsible for resolving asynchronous actions. So if I say, hey, I need to call some API, I emit an action that says, call this API. The middleware says, oh, this is like an asynchronous thing. Run this, pass this like callback basically into the action. And then when it calls that, then we go to the uh, reducer with the data that came back. So we found that that was like used so commonly that we just include that by default. So supporting asynchronous action resolution was like one of the things that is included by in your store middleware by default. Okay, that makes sense. What was the second one you mentioned? That was Redux Thunk. What was the other one? The other one was Redux Saga, which is kind of the same thing, but with ES6, like async stuff, like yield and... Okay. Yeah, I haven't. it has a couple of other things in it. I, I don't know enough about it to like about it with any confidence, but everybody seems to be like pretty hyped on it, so I probably should look into that. That makes sense, though. Thanks. So I have a, a wild change of subject. You're also the the main author of Gulp, right? Which is, it has some interesting parallels with this project where it was a space that there were some existing solutions. There was some maybe frustration with those solutions. And then you came in and built a tool that that took off a lot. Can you talk about some things that you've learned from Gulp, maybe in terms of just running an open source project or in terms of solving a problem like this and how you're using them in Shasta? Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, stuff I've learned... From Gulp, and I, I would say that the origin story of Gulp, the origin story of Shasta, and the origins of a lot of the stuff that I build mainly stems from being frustrated with other stuff. So yeah, I, I would that's, say that's called a, that's called frustration driven development. That's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. FTD. I just get frustrated. I'm like, well, too bad I don't know how to program and yeah, can't I, I, think about this. I have frustration driven depression. It's different, but you know. Yeah, so things I've learned in open source. So yeah, I, I think I did a JS Jabber about Gulp like 
what was that, like two years yeah, ago? Yeah, it, it was a while ago. That was a long time ago. Two years ago, man, I was 20 years old. <laughs> I was like 19, living in Arizona, and that was like the first big thing I made. But yeah, since then, it's the, the whole project like blew up. It's like 20,000 stars on GitHub now. Gets like 5 million installs a month on NPM. It's just like totally taken off. So I think as far as like open source project stuff, I gave a talk about this in Uruguay at one point. But one of the things I learned a lot about was like open source marketing is actually a thing that matters. So yeah, when you're creating like new open source stuff, the value of even making like a simple website or nice looking docs or maybe like a quick logo, that goes a serious, I don't know, it goes a long way because when we first launched Gulp, it kind of flopped. It went to Reddit. It got like five upvotes, maybe 20 stars on GitHub and just like totally was a flop. So I was like, oh, whatever. It's just a little side project. And then my co-founder made a logo for it. And I reposted it again, and it just, like, blew up. So that's, like, <laughs> it's like the value of a logo is what made That's an awesome <laughs> story. That is really funny. So, yeah, I, I think uh, when I gave the talk, I had, like, a graph. It was just, like, flat, and then there's, like, a little arrow. It's, like, logo made, and then it's just, like, <laughs> So that, I would honestly say in open source, my number one learning is marketing. Make a logo. <laughs> I, I think it's more about showing that you're willing to make an effort like if you just throw up code and you're like ah, i don't have time to make this nice yeah. like people are going to be like well like it's like a subconscious thing like if this person didn't have time to make a nice like thing around this project they're probably not going to maintain it they're not yeah. going to quick at responding to issues so I, I think it's like giving a signal to people like, hey, I actually give a shit about this thing. I made a logo. I made a nice website for it. Like, I'm serious about it versus like, uh, this is just some code I'm not planning on maintaining. So for Shasta, did you try a new strategy where you have Dan Abramov leak your project before it's ready? <laughs> <laughs> no, he like, oh man, I specifically told him, do not tell him about this. And he's like, okay. And then he just totally goes and tweets about it. So. <laughs> oh, Dan, I hope you're listening. <laughs> he can't help himself. Yeah, it's okay. Was that part of, it looked like TJ Holloway, I can never pronounce his name, Holloway Chuck. He was talking about trying to set up a Redux project and just being a little bit frustrated. Was that part of that conversation or something else? Dan leaked it. So it was a part of that conversation. And then there was like a, a tweet like a long time ago that was like Dan just tweeted a link to the Shasta website and was like, everybody check this out. And on the website at the time, there was nothing. It was like completely empty. There wasn't. So right now it's just like a bunch of logos and it says coming soon. But even back then it just said coming soon. There wasn't even anything on it. So yeah, it was kind of confusing. Because <laughs> oddly enough, like I was trying to find information about it to kind of prep for this week. and. When I was Googling around, that tweet came up, and oh, that's funny. pretty much all I could find was, you know, what was on GitHub and that tweet. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I got really excited when I heard about what Shasta is, because I feel like this is the piece that's missing in the React ecosystem right now. Like, you have to bolt so much stuff together to build a React or a Redux app that someone to bring it all together and, like, provide a uniform way to do it and abstract away some actually like you mentioned the term boilerplate earlier but like you're you're really helping reduce boilerplate code in our projects right like that's the goal yeah so like using a router for example like i don't know have you set up have any of you set up a router with redux router 
yeah, I just it, did that a couple yeah, days ago. It, it's like three, three separate modules and like all of this code, and it's like you don't really know why you have to put the code there. It's just you look at the readme, and it's like, yeah, you just got to paste this code in and like wire this up this way and do this and this. And if you don't, like nothing works. So it's like, okay, well, why are we like pasting code from readmes with like no explanation? So for Shasta, we just wrapped all that code in Shasta router, and then you can drop it into your store with one line of code. So you just require Shasta router, and then you give it to your store, and then your store wires everything up. So one of the best ways to reduce boilerplate that Shasta offers is like this notion of a plugin. But it's not like some custom fancy thing. It's like you can pass an object in that has any combination of actions, reducers, middleware, store enhancers, or store hooks, and it'll wire everything up for you. So all of these modules that are like Shasta Router or Shasta Logger or any other Redux application or Redux kind of like community module that exports in that pattern can be dropped in with one line of code versus like manually having to go wire all that stuff up. How many of the pieces of Shasta are React specific and how many of them are agnostic? Yeah, so I think right now there's like two things that are React specific. But those two things are, like, super lightweight. So there's, like, the Shasta component, and then there's, like, a Shasta data view, which is just a really simple way to handle, like, asynchronous loading states. So if you find yourself in your render function doing something, a ternary that's basically, like, if it's loading, show a loader. If it's not loading, show the data view. If it errored, then show an error view. So we kind of just, like, abstracted that into a little, like, 10-line component that works with Redux really well. So it's not even Shasta-specific. You could use it with Redux as well. And I, I think we're going to go ahead and, like, rename a bunch of stuff to make that a little clearer so that it's, like, Redux data view instead of Shasta data view. Gotcha. So how many of the uh, pieces are Shasta-specific? <laughs> <laughs> All of the pieces... <laughs> I mean, it's all, like, you can use every piece standalone if you want. Like, I think of Shasta as more of, like, an umbrella over, like, an ecosystem. And it's like, hey, everything that has the Shasta name on it, you know, is going to work really well with every other thing that has the Shasta name on it. And, like, we give a shit about it. I'm imagining this more like, have you seen the previews for the movie Laser Team? No. (laughs) (laughs) You just outnerded everyone on the show, Joe. (laughs) I just what? You outnerded everyone. <laughs> Don't nobody else watch this previous? Come on. There it's this it's some I don't know when it's coming out. It's some it looks like a total B B movie, but it looks hilarious. But there's like this super suit that the government invents and the guy crashes or something and five different guys each ending up end up wearing one piece of the suit somehow, and then they become the laser so one guy has like the glove <laughs> and so he can shoot, and the other guy has like the helmet or something. I'm just imagining you know, it's like there's all these awesome pieces. You can use them however you want. It's not yeah, to compare it to a bad movie because maybe it's a great I, movie. I guess you could say it's kind of like the Laser Team movie. <laughs> so when are you, you going to rename your project? Laser <laughs> Team, yeah. So you talked a little bit about people using Shasta with potentially with Angular. I know that Redux is getting a lot of experimentation in Angular. Is Redux getting experimentation with anybody else? Have you heard of anybody or any other projects? Have you heard of any other projects experimenting, experimenting with Shasta? Uh, right now, just some people doing it with Angular. So, yeah, you can use the, the Shasta, like, server stuff is really nice. You can use that. So the, the Shasta server stuff is kind of like 
dead simple like APIs on top of RethinkDB, and then we're using like event source for doing real time push from the server. So that's a piece that you can use with anything like that has no opinion about what your front end stack looks like. And then, yeah, there's like Tahoe, which works with anything that uses Redux. Any of the Shasta Redux modules will work with anything that uses Redux. But so far, it's just Angular and and React. If anybody wants to experiment with something else, I'm like totally open to it because the goal isn't to like lock anybody into React. Like if you want to use Shasta with Mercury or Angular or whatever else you're building stuff with like Vue.js there's like a bunch of stuff definitely talk to me about it because I'm like super interested in that it sounds like there's a few pieces that even aren't necessarily Redux specific right yeah so it's not even you have to be necessarily doing Redux although it'd be awesome to see like backbone Redux Shasta so yeah there's like a whole server side piece of it with like the APIs and then there's like pieces that wire that server side part so one of the things my favorite thing probably is the API stuff is something we've really put a focus on. And what we actually do is like, so on the server side, we go like scaffold out all your REST endpoints from like some modules that you defined. And we export that meta information to the front end using Webpack. And then we use that to programmatically generate actions on the front end for accessing those APIs using Tahoe. So we have that, there's an example of that in the boilerplate, but what it actually ends up looking like is you define an endpoint on the server and you now have a function for retrieving that data on the front end that works whether you're just fetching a set of data or like a real-time change feed of updates to that data. That sounds really cool. Hmm. Now, I've heard rumors that Facebook is, for one thing, I think a lot of people look to them as the leader in the React world, but that they're moving to standardize on, is it Falcor or? Uh, uh, GraphQL and Relay. Graph, yeah, there we go. GraphQL and, and Relay. <laughs> yeah, that would be a big deal if they're moving to Falcor. Sorry. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I was close. Just not quite there, was I? <laughs> they're um, moving to Angular. <laughs> Joe, but, you're experiencing a little bit of tool fatigue. I am experiencing <laughs> tool fatigue. Oh, my gosh. So... Is the piece, the server side pieces that you're putting together that you've talked about, would they conflict at all with using Relay and GraphQL, or would they be synergistic or just agnostic? Yeah, you wouldn't be able to use it with GraphQL. So the, the server stuff that we made is like REST thing. So we're like, again, like you can use whatever, like if you want to use Relay with Shasta, you totally can. Like you just don't use the backend stuff that we have. So that's like with the escape patches, like I mentioned earlier, like we don't try to lock you into like, any way of doing things, we just we just make it extremely easy to do things that way. I think we've definitely got you've well communicated that point that these pieces really work independently very well, right? And that sounds actually really cool. It seems like a great part of what you guys have put to, what you've put together. Is it is there more of the people working on it than or just you? It's pretty much just me right now, but we have some other people who are going to throw in some work pretty soon. How many pieces total does Shasta have? I would say there's like four main projects and then there's probably 12 to no there's 14 or 16 total modules wow I, w- I want to ask a little bit about the swappability of things can you use something other than rethink db oh for the back end stuff yeah you can use anything you want we just like recommend rethink because they have the real-time change feeds, which are, like, super awesome. So we had the Rethink co-founder over here at the house the other day, and we were talking to them about some stuff. They're they're working on their own server-side thing. Horizon. Uh, yeah, Horizon. So we were talking about potentially, 
I mean, I'm open to just like scrapping our server stuff if they have something better or if the GraphQL stuff matures a little more. I'd be open with to doing that. But, you know, I think that from what we've seen so far, it's like not stable enough. So we're kind of just working on this piece as like a stepping stone to those things versus like, this is this permanent thing that you should use forever. Don't use GraphQL. Like this is the thing. I think what's going to end up happening is you might use this for a little bit and then Horizon on the back end and like some kind of a GraphQL system with either Relay or Falcor would be like a more long-term look on things. Well, it's also important with pieces, with stuff like this, to remember that people want problems solved well, but they also don't want problems solved with tools that don't work for them. And so, if, you know, Relay and GraphQL, you know, that could be the kind of thing that a lot of people go get into and just say, oh, this just isn't right for us, and we want other options. So it is in the... Your, your whole thing is kind of like pushing towards, react a little bit towards Ember, right? But on the other hand, Ember has to be very careful that when they say, you know, here's a full solution, that it's a full solution that is as widely applicable as possible. Is that something that you guys, or, well, I guess you, sorry, I keep saying you guys, that you've had in mind as to how can I solve these problems in a way that doesn't cut out anybody? It's I'm basically choosing opinions, but not necessarily cutting off options. Yeah, it's difficult for sure. So one of the things, like just for example, like the backend stuff we were just talking about. So that module is called Sutro. Uh, so I, I tried to name all of this stuff after like physical landmarks this time around because I thought that sounded kind of cool. So this module Sutro, when you define an endpoint, you can define any asynchronous function. It can return a promise. It can do like, you can do yielding in it. It doesn't really have any opinions about how you get the data. It just wants you to return it. But we do have some stuff in there where it's like, if you do return a RethinkDB query, we make things a lot easier for you, but we don't force you into it. So it's those kind of decisions that are like really difficult to get right because the initial version of it was like, oh yeah, you're just going to use Rethink. And then it's, okay, some of these endpoints don't need Rethink. Some of these things are doing other stuff. It's like, okay, let's rethink this and make it so that everybody can use it for whatever purposes they want. And that's, I think that's how you end up with those kind of solutions is just when people hit a wall and are like feeling locked in, then you can figure out a way to like get out of that. I'm wondering, uh, you you said you had Dan Abramoff over to your house and you had the Rethink co-founder over to your house. I'm just wondering when you're going to round out the trifecta and have Jameson dance over to your house. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. So I'm actually moving in like two days. So I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, aren't that's you, quite aren't the deadline. Studying, aren't you starting a new startup too? Yes. So I'm doing my third company in New York in like three days. Is that related to Shasta at all or is it just a totally separate thing? Separate thing. We're doing like open data stuff for the government. So totally like a different thing than what I'm currently doing, which is like a product incubator. And yeah, we'll, we'll be using Shasta though. So we use Shasta at all of the companies that I'm a part of. So it's like our thing. It feels a little bit to me like Shasta is like a step toward something. It's not the destination. It may become the destination, but it's not there yet. Where do you see things going in the future as far as front-end development JavaScript goes? And how do you think Shasta plays into that? Yeah, so are you all familiar with the way that Mercury is like doing state management and stuff? No. Nope. Okay, so I think right now I'm feeling like somewhere between Redux and Mercury. I think that 
And just to explain what Mercury does, it's like very similar to Redux in some ways, with obviously with different nouns because you have to have different nouns to explain the same concepts. But yeah, so I, I think there's like and right now is I don't know, right now is like a renaissance for front end stuff. Like state management has always been like one of the things nobody ever really put a serious amount of thought into. And right now there's like ten things out with completely different ways of doing state management and they're all pretty good. So I, I can't really predict the, like the future of what I think it's going to be, but I, like my gut feeling is like somewhere between Redux and Mercury. Have you um, seen Victor Savkin's experimentation with observables in a Redux uh, implementation? Uh, no, I haven't. That was a very interesting twist on Redux, where using observables cut out a lot of, I don't know if boilerplate is the right word, but cut a lot of interesting pieces out and added a bunch of interesting pieces in. Boilerplate is always the right word, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's it's probably somewhere closer to, like, cycle, right? It's What he did was similar, like, halfway between Redux and cycle, as, as I understand cycle. Yeah, you should link me to that. That sounds interesting. I will. Yeah, it's definitely cool to look at. I don't know if I would, like, recommend people build stuff with it. It's... <laughs> They don't even have a logo. I wouldn't touch it with a 10-mile pole. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it has more Just than kidding, 20 stars. Team. So the thing, logos are really easy to make. So if anybody is doing open source stuff and they want to know how to make a good logo, I'll give you like a secret. Go to the, go to the Squarespace Logo Maker website. It's <laughs> <laughs> All of the logos that I make now are Squarespace logos. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's... It seems like it would be really cheesy, but they actually come out looking kind of nice. They have, like, nice fonts and, like, the logo. So it's you type in a word, and they give you, like, little clip art kind of things, and you click it, and it goes in, except all the clip art is really cool, and all the fonts are nice. I always go to Fiverr. That's all the investment I'm willing to make sometimes. <laughs> yeah. This has all changed right. my life. Yeah. We should yeah, chalk so that up to a pick. Are we ready for picks? I think so. Sure. It just seemed like we're winding down. All right. Uh, Space logo maker has a like a deer icon with antlers, just so you know. All right. <laughs> it's cool looking. Joe, what are your picks? Well, I'm going to pick Victor Savkin's uh, post. It was actually written about managing state in an Angular application, but he basically adapted the ideas of Redux, but utilized RxJS, which Angular is heavily into. And did some really cool stuff, and I've heard a lot of good feedback about it from other people that are heavily into the React world and Redux world, saying that this is these are some really good ideas. So that'll be my first pick. Is Victor Sapkin's post? I'll be linked. I think the title of it is "Managing State in Angular 2 Applications." If you want to Google it and not find the show notes. And then for my second pick, I really wish I could pick a Ten Cloverfield Lane. I wanted to see it this last weekend and didn't see it. So instead, I'm going to pick Laser Team. I have no idea if it's going to be any good or not. But it looks, it's kind of like a campy sort of parody superhero movie. And I have no idea if it's going to be any good or not, but at least the uh, previews seem entertaining. That'll be my other pick. All right. Jameson, what are your picks? I have two picks. One is a band called Big Black Delta. I think it might just be one person, actually. It might be one of those just like one guy who's the producer or something. It's gigantic techno synth rock. I really like it. It's been the soundtrack to my week. And then my second pick is this blog post on CSS Tricks. I just really like their writing style. It's very clear. And they take things that I usually think I understand and then 
just very clearly lay out a good overview of it in a way that always teaches me stuff. This one is about using Google Analytics more effectively. And it's just all about how without paying any money, just using all the free stuff in Google Analytics, you can get a pretty impressive idea of what's going on in your website or your product. So it was a good read. Those are my picks. All right, Dave, what are your picks? All right, I have two picks. I finally got my book from the library, The Thing Explainer by Randall Monroe, who is the creator of XKCD, among other things. Um, it is really good. It is so good. I was really glad that AJ picked it uh, a couple of months ago. I've been waiting in line at the library behind like 75 other people to get it, but it is so fun. Anyway, he, he literally just uses the 1,000 most common words in the English language. Uh, which he describes as the 10 hundred most common words because apparently thousand is not in the top thousand most common words. So <laughs> that's great. And then my second pick is a brand new podcast that uh, James and I created called Soft Skills Engineering, the podcast about everything else, not the technical stuff, but everything else in software engineering. So join us. You can find us on uh, iTunes. You can find us on your podcasting app, or you can uh, search Twitter for Soft Skills ENG, and we're there. We'd love to have you, and it's been surprisingly good. Would you say, James? Jameson? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been really good. I've enjoyed. We've done a couple episodes so far, and I've been pleased with the stuff that's come out. Yeah, your SEO rankings leave something to be desired. Yeah, we have. <laughs> it's called soft skills, Joe. Yeah, SEO is not one of the skills. <laughs> All right, Amy, what are your picks? I have three. And side note, I did listen to the first episode of that. I thought it was pretty good. But my picks are, the first one is a conference May 13th in Virginia Beach called Revolution Comp. So if you are in the area, you should attend. I will be there speaking, and there's a bunch of other people speaking, so it looks pretty good. Second pick is, I haven't, so disclaimer, I haven't actually done this course yet. I haven't had the time since it just came out on March 8th, but it looks awesome. It is very high on my list of things to do, but it's another front-end master's course by Kyle Simpson, so if this one is anything like the rest of his, I'm sure it's pretty awesome, but it's called uh, Functional Light JavaScript, so I'll add a link for that. And then I have a third one, which may be possibly the very first time we've ever picked a more feminine pick on the show. <laughs> but it dawned on me that I really try to gear my picks all towards things that I think like every single person listening would be interested in, and I've never picked anything that's like remotely feminine. So I'm picking something today that could be slightly feminine. It's uh, Lush Cosmetics. And the whole reason that I'm picking this is I've done a lot of traveling lately, and they have, like, these bars of shampoo or conditioner or, like, lotion, but it's all in bar form. So whenever I travel, I don't like to have to uh, check my bag. So whatever kind of toiletries you need have to fit in that little, like, quart size bag. But if you have bars, you don't actually have to check them. So I bought a bunch of these things for whenever I travel so I don't have to use, you know, sometimes the stuff at the hotel isn't the greatest or whatever. So that's Lush Cosmetics. They also have, like some stuff that's sort of like toothpaste that are just these little tablets that dissolve in your mouth and you brush with them. I guess it could be for men too, but it's probably a little more girly. But this stuff's pretty awesome. So that is my third pick, and that's it for me. They uh, get well supported by myself. <laughs> I got a lot of my money gets spent over at Lush. Okay, cool. So for you or like your wife and daughters? My wife and daughters. In fact, we were talking about traveling. I swear every time we go anywhere, there's a lush there. Anytime we leave town, there's a lush somewhere. And they're always, well, they got to stop in and go get stuff at lush. <laughs>
All right. Instead of picks this week, I'm just going to let folks know that uh, I'm going to be doing some traveling. Some of these other folks here are going to be doing some traveling too. But anyway, I think it's just AJ and I that are on the docket to go out to build. But uh, AJ and I from this show will be at Build, as well as the iFreak Show uh, hosts. So if you listen to either of those shows, we're going to be at the Build Conference. I'm going to pull together a meetup. Uh, I think it's going to be on the 30th of March. So if you want to get together, it'll be somewhere close to the conference or the hotel that we're staying at. And then right after that, I'm actually flying to Las Vegas. So I think on the 2nd or 3rd of April, we'll be doing another meetup in Las Vegas. There, it'll just be me and my friends from the Entreprogrammers podcast, which is a mastermind group that I do every week. But it's also released as a podcast. So anyway, you can check that out. And then in May... The Adventures in Angular and JavaScript Jabber podcast are going to be done during lunch, during the NGConf conference. So we're going to pull together a meetup there as well. It'll be the, I think we decided the 5th of May. So if you're in Salt Lake City, you can come and check that out. I know that several of us live in or around Salt Lake City, but uh, you can meet some of the rest of the folks who you don't get to see as often because they're either in town or, uh, you know, they're, they're just not at the events that you're at. So anyway, then in July, on July 9th, I'll also be holding a meetup in Chicago. Um, I'm going to be in Chicago for podcast movement, and I'm going to stay an extra day just so I can meet anyone who wants to come out and hang out. And uh, this is all sort of a big pick for the audiences for the different shows because you're all awesome and I love talking to people. So uh, please show up. I sent an email around to the mailing list. I'll probably send another one around here in a week or two. And if you're in San Francisco or Las Vegas, this show should come out like the day before the San Francisco meetup. So just watch my Twitter account, that's CMAXW, and uh, you can see where we're at and where we're going to meet. But it'll be somewhere close to the conference. So we'll do what we can to make sure that you know about it. And those are my picks. Eric, what are your picks? Cool. So my first pick is Horizon, and I haven't really seen that much of it, but I know the Rethink DB team is just going to kill it with it. They like everything that they touch is just like I don't know. They just do a really good job with everything. So that would be my first pick. My second one, Surf Punk, is back as a genre. So check out the band Shannon and the Clams is a good kind of intro to that they're like a surf punk band out of oakland and my third pick is going to be the shasta website because there's basically no information available so whenever this comes out please actually go check that out (laughs) more in-depth information because it's very difficult to explain like 16 separate projects on a podcast. So you'll get good info out of that if I was like totally vague on this. So definitely check that out. And those are my picks. All right. If people want to follow you on Twitter or anything like that, uh, Eric, where do they go? Uh, my Twitter is at Contra, C-O-N-T-R-A, Hacks. I think you know how to spell hack. And my Instagram is Y-U-N-G-C-O-N-T-R-A if you want to, like, watch me bounce all over the place. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests. 